I want to bring a message entitled, What's in a Name this morning? And I want you to turn to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. We're going to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. And uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 5. And we'll read verse 5 through verse number 11 for our text. And then we'll dive right in. But I want you to think about this question because we're going to start with it and then we're going to circle back around by the end of the message. We're going to, we're going to come full circle and we're going to be focusing on that that thought, what's in a name? What's in a name? And I want you to see this with me in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. The Bible says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray together before we launch into the message. Father, we ask your help right now with these verses fresh in our minds. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our minds to understand your word, uh, to see its application in our lives. And Lord, I just pray that life-changing decisions would be made. We ask you to speak to every heart. And Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, for many people today, a name is really important for somewhat of a surface reason that many times it connects us with our family associations, sometimes it connects us with uh, our faith association. For example, if you have a Bible name, maybe that name was picked for you by your parents because uh, they're Christians and they thought, boy, we want to have a name that's a good biblical name. And, and, uh, and that was something that went into the name that you have. Uh, but let me ask you this question. What is special about your name? What is special about your name? Is there anything special about it? Uh, is it special because of that family association? I am a part of this family. Uh, is, it, is it special because of maybe uh, it's a family name that's been passed down and, uh, and so uh, there's, a, uh, there's a little bit of a heritage there that you're proud of and so uh, is that what makes it special? Is it special for some other reason? When people hear your name, is it special to them? What do people think of when your name comes up in conversation? When your name is mentioned, uh, as was mentioned, we have three kids right now, and our fourth is on the way. My wife is due on October 16th, and uh, some of the ladies that are juniors, seniors, you would remember my wife, and uh, she wanted me, before I forget, she wanted me to say hi. And uh, many of you ladies that uh, she knew when she was here, she wanted me to express her love uh, to you, and she wanted me to say hi, so there you go, all right? And... Uh, but she misses this place and, and just had such a special place in her heart uh, here working in the college with the ladies in the college. And, uh, but she's expecting our fourth child. Um, with our, uh, we have three boys and a girl. Our fourth child's going to be a boy. And uh, we 
uh, we picked the boys' names in our families based on some family names. Uh, my name is, my first name is Clark. It's actually Clarkson. That's my real, that's my full name. I go by Clark, and, and uh, that's a family name. Uh, my dad was Curtis Clarkson Graham. My dad flipped the name because he was a junior. didn't want to be me to be the third, and so he flipped those names, and so I carry a family name that's been passed on. Well, my oldest son, his name's Charlie, short for Charles, and uh, we named him after my father-in-law, uh, my wife's father. And, uh, and then our second son, his name is Curtis, is named after my dad. And so uh, there's a little bit of a special connection there in those names uh, because of uh, the, just the, the family connection that is there. But when we were looking for a name for our fourth child, who is a boy, uh, we, we ran out of kind of family names. And uh, just a little quirky thing with me, I thought, well, all of the guys in our family have the same initials, CCG, so why don't we just stick with that? And so I picked the name Clint. There's no family association with that name. I just thought it sounded cool right? I just thought it sounded really manly. And uh, I just thought, you know, I could just imagine uh, uh, the name Clint. I mean, can you imagine uh, when I was growing up, Clint was kind of Clint Eastwood, kind of a tough guy, kind of a manly guy. And, uh, and so I could just kind of see little Clint when he's growing up and his uh, older brothers or his sister come to him and, hey, give me that chicken tender. And he just kind of says, feeling lucky, punk? Go ahead, make my day. You know, I just, I don't know. So we picked the name Clint, and, and uh, we're excited about that. I just think that's a cool name. But we just kind of picked that one out of the air. But, you know, when it comes to the Word of God, there are hundreds of names and titles for God in the Bible. It's just really quite a fascinating study. But what's important about this is, for God, His names connect Him with His divine nature, with His character, with His mighty attributes of deity and his work in your life and in my life. And so when it comes to God's names, there is something absolutely, incredibly, and eternally special about his names. And, it, and even through his, uh, his names, we can really capture his greatness and his majesty and his holiness and his love for you and me and his ministry and work in our lives on a daily basis. In fact, there are four key names or main names for God in the scriptures. The first one is Elohim. It, it appears over 2,600 times in the scriptures. It means the supreme God. It's the first name for God mentioned in the Bible. When the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, that's Elohim. It's, it's an awesome name. And it means the supreme God. We see the name El. Uh, it means the mighty God. There are four compounds found throughout uh, the Old Testament of this name. We see El Roy, the one who sees. We see El Elyon, the high and lofty one, capturing his holiness. We see El Shaddai, the almighty one. And then El Olam, the everlasting one. And so we see God's greatness in his names. Another name is the name Adonai. It appears uh, 438 times in the scriptures. It means Lord. It means master, owner, 
or controller. It speaks of God's authority and it really captures the concept that you and I ought to understand that He's our master and we are under His authority and we are servants of Him. Uh, in the New Testament, the equivalent of that is kurios and we see that it appears 748 times and we see that uh, God has all authority. Now, you cannot look at the names of God without looking at the name Jehovah. This is the most common name for uh, God in the Bible. Uh, it, it appears uh, 6,823 times and it means self-existent one. He's the self-existent one. And there are many compounds found uh, uh, of that name throughout the scriptures. We see Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. We heard the song just a moment ago. The God of angel armies. That's Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. It's awesome. We see Je uh, Jehovah uh, Makadashem, the Lord that sanctifies, that sanctifies his people. By the way, God desires to sanctify you and set you apart for his glory and for his use. Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shama, the Lord is present. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. How many of you are getting the idea that even in the names of God, there is something very special that we can learn about our holy and wonderful God? What's in a name? Well, for God, it's everything. And we see that when we come to Philippians chapter number two here, I want you to see this. Uh, we see the name Jesus is emphasized. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. The name Jesus in Greek is the name Iesus. It comes from the Hebrew name Yehoshua or Joshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. By the way, how many of you are thankful for that? There's no sweeter name than the name of Jesus. Jehovah saves. Jehovah is salvation. I heard about a young father who wanted to read a magazine, but he was being bothered by his little daughter. And finally, just to kind of get her to go away, he tore a page out of the magazine. And on that page just happened to be printed a map of the world. And so he, uh, tore, it into, uh, he, he tore it into small pieces. He gave it to his daughter and he said, hey, Go into the other room, and I want you to put this back together for me. By the way, that's kind of a cruel, sick little joke, right, to do to, do to your kid, right? Here, just put this all back to me. Well, uh, she took it gladly, and off she went into the other room to try to put all these uh, pieces back together. Well, astonishingly, she came back in a very short period of time. And uh, she had it all put together exactly right, and, and uh, the father was just really taken aback by that. He was surprised and, and uh, uh, he asked, uh, how did you finish that so quick? And she said, oh, on the other side of the paper is a picture of Jesus. And when I put Jesus back like he belonged, then the world just came together automatically. And when we think of God's names, when we think of our relationship with God, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, when we get Jesus back where he belongs, the world just kind of 
gets back in its right perspective, doesn't it? Our priorities just have a way of coming in line as they ought to be. And I want you to take a little bit of a closer glimpse with me at the name Jesus this morning. And I want you to notice three powerful life-changing purposes in his name, Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. And I want you to look with me first in verse number six here of our text and notice with me the first purpose, and that is we are saved by grace. Now, don't tune off. That's something that you're, okay, that's, I know that we're saved by grace. The, the Bible makes that very clear, but, but, but let's look at it a little bit. Uh, a little bit closer. Look at verse number six of Philippians chapter number two. And the Bible says about Jesus, uh, it says in verse number five, let this mind be in you who was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Think of it. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We see such great humility here. We see God's grace in these verses. But I want you to notice how his name appears at the end of verse number five. It appears this way. Christ Jesus. You ever notice sometimes it's, it's mentioned in the, in the scriptures, it's written there, Jesus Christ, and then other times it's Christ Jesus. Well, I want to just kind of focus on that for a minute, and just uh, uh, hopefully uh, you'll see with me that even in that way that the name is rendered there, it depicts and shows to us the wonderful grace of God. W.E. Vine said this and observed this about this passage. He said, The order of the names and titles of the Lord is always a matter of precision in the New Testament. In other words, it's not by accident when God has it, Christ Jesus, and other places it's Jesus Christ. Uh, that's not just random. That's not by accident. How many of you believe what 2 Timothy 3.16 says? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so we see the word Christ, the name Christ. It, it, it's, uh, in Greek, it's Christos. It means anointed one. It's a reference to the Messiah. We see uh, Christ, his title, the anointed one, God. It says, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, this is important because Christ Jesus places the emphasis on the exalted one who emptied himself, became flesh, and dwelt among us. In John chapter number 1 and verse number 14, the Bible says, The word became flesh, the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Watch this. Full of, what's the next word if you know it? Grace and truth. So we see God's grace even in the name Christ Jesus. Why? Because he was God. But he came down and, and, and emptied himself, poured himself, wrapped himself in humanity so that he could redeem us. It was the greatest act of God's grace. We didn't deserve it. Paul used this title extensively many times throughout his epistles. And it's very interesting because if you think about it, Paul's salvation experience was a little bit different 
than the other disciples. Paul mentioned himself as being one born out of due time. In Acts chapter number 9, we know that uh, Paul was a persecutor of the Christians and he was on his way to Damascus and he was going to find Christians, throw them into jail and uh, have them put to death if he could. And, and uh, yet the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And Paul saw him in his glorified state. Saw him in his glory. Saw him not merely as uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, he didn't see him uh, uh, first in his humanity and then saw him after the resurrection. He saw him in, his, in, in the power and glory of his resurrection. And so his salvation experience was a little bit different. And I think that there's a correlation there between that fact and the way that Paul in his epistles often would refer to Jesus as Christ Jesus. And thereby depicting and capturing and expressing and transferring the importance and the truth of the grace of God. Now here's where it gets cool. I want you to look at a couple of things with me. If you like to uh, underline in the scriptures, I want you to see this. Uh, in verse number 6, watch this. A little bit closer. Uh, who being in the form of God. Now again... This is a Bible college, right? So we're just going to kind of do some uh, deeper study, maybe some theology here just for a second. And uh, uh, this, this phrase or form of God, uh, in the Greek, it is morphe theos. Uh, that word morphe refers to the essential form, like you have a form, I have a form. And the Bible says here, morphe theos, he was in the form of God. In other words, he was God. Jesus was 100% God. We see his deity right here. But then in verse number 7, it says, But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And that phrase, form of a servant, comes from the Greek uh, morphe doulos. Doulos refers to a servant or a slave sometimes. And so we see here, uh, uh, he was 100% God and 100% man. But here's where it gets even cooler. At the beginning of verse number 7, how many of you are with me so far? The beginning of verse number 7, it says, he uh, was made of no reputation, but made himself of no reputation. That phrase comes from the Greek word kanoo. By the way, many of you would know this already, but this passage of scripture is often referred to as the what passage? The kenosis passage because of that Greek word, kenoo. And uh, here's what it means. It means emptied. Empty. Now still, think of God's grace. We're talking about the fact that we were saved by grace. But we're going a little bit deeper and we're capturing the power and the depth and the magnitude of the grace of God. He emptied himself. Now Christ's incarnation, God becoming flesh, this was not an emptying himself of his deity. That's very important. In other words, Christ's deity was never diminished in any way when he poured or emptied himself into humanity. It was not an emptying of his deity, but rather a clothing in humanity in order to be a servant. And again, I'm going to reemphasize this statement. That was the greatest act of God's grace. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, can I ask you a question? Do you take God's grace for granted? 
Do I take God's grace for granted? Have you ever lived through a day or have you ever lived your life in such a way where you were not acknowledging the grace of God in your life, where you were sort of taking God's grace for granted? Has there ever been a Christian here who maybe has abused God's grace? What a sad thing. Hopefully we're getting a little bit of a clearer picture of how awesome the grace of God is. Here it is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9, the Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 7, the Bible says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through, watch this, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus captures his grace. But then it says this, for by grace are ye saved through faith that not of yourselves it's the gift of God. Have you ever taken that gift for granted? Oh, you're thankful to be saved. You're thankful that you have eternal hope. And you're heaven bound, if we could say it that way. But how many times do you live your life as if uh, 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 the grace of God means nothing? And all of us can get to that place. And God wants us to understand uh, that he doesn't want us to trade uh, the grace of God in for a self-willed or a flesh-controlled or a sin-consumed life. If we're saved by his grace, we ought to live by his grace. If we're saved by his grace, we ought to live by his grace. By the way, we see a distortion of the grace of God in the day in which we live among uh, uh, some Christians. And they would say, oh, the grace of God is just kind of, uh, we don't have to do this. And we're not under this. And we're not obligated to do this. And we can just kind of live however we want because we have liberty under grace. That's a distortion. Remember Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, verse 12 says, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. But here it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 10, Paul understood this. He understood it. And uh, it was expressed when he mentioned Jesus as Christ Jesus. He was always acknowledging God's almighty grace in his life. And he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace, what, listen to this. His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Paul said, I didn't squander God's grace. I didn't waste it. I didn't forget about it. I didn't take it for granted. He would go on to say, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Students can ask you a question this morning. How are you doing at stewarding the grace of God that he's bestowed upon you? Listen, we're saved by grace. That means we have a purpose. We're to live 
by His grace. And if we're saved by His grace and we're to live by His grace, that means that we can depend upon His grace. Isn't it an awesome thought to know that the resource of God's grace never runs out? It's always overly and abundantly available to the believer. In 1 Peter 5, 10, the Bible says, But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You say, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to pass all my classes this semester. I don't know how I'm going to pay my school bill. I've got some family issues back home. I've got, uh, I'm still trying to find a job. I don't even know. Uh, I've been trying and I, I'm not really sure uh, how it's all going to happen, but I've got to get one. Can I tell you that you can trust the Lord and you can depend upon his grace? And here it says uh, uh, that uh, after you have suffered a while, sometimes God wants to, in his grace, establish and strengthen and settle you. He wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of him through some of the processes of life, whether it's paying a school bill, trusting God for this need or that need, trusting God for your family situation, whatever it is. But we're saved by grace. Yet it doesn't stop there. I want you to see secondly, very quickly, not only are we saved by grace, remember this, Christ Jesus. Every time you see that in the scriptures, thank God for his grace. He left the glory of heaven he was in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he took upon him the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even, it's interesting how the Bible says, even the death of the cross. He did that for you, the greatest gift of grace ever. Don't abuse it. Don't take it for granted. Don't waste it. Here it is. Secondly, we're saved to glory. So we talked about Christ Jesus. That captures his grace. But then I want to see the reverse of that, Jesus Christ. I want you to see with me very quickly that this pictures his glory. We see Christ Jesus shows us his grace. We can learn some things about the grace of God there. But now we see Jesus Christ. This is uh, uh, picturing his glory. It pictures the power of his resurrection and the fact that we are saved to glorify him. The name Jesus Christ pictures the despised and rejected one who was afterwards glorified. So obviously it testifies of his resurrection. Now here's where it gets cool. We mentioned the Apostle Paul, how he used Christ Jesus throughout his epistles. But in contrast, when you look at the writings of the other apostles, Peter used Christ Jesus a couple of times. Remember, Peter was one of those who saw the transfigured Christ on that Mount of Transfiguration. He saw him in his glory. But, but Peter and uh, uh, James and John and Jude, these were men that had a different experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, they were with him during his time, during his ministry here on earth. And they saw Jesus, uh, who was, uh, 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 who was uh, a man, and yet he was God. And then they saw him raised up uh, by the glory of God. And they saw him in the glory of his resurrection and we see that uh, uh, throughout that we see the glory of God is depicted. Now I want you to notice a, a couple of things very quickly underneath this. You say why, why is that so important? We're saved by grace and then we're saved to glory. Well here's why it's important. Because we are to glorify him. How many of you say amen to that? Amen. 
If you're a Christian, you are saved to glorify Jesus Christ. When just before I started kindergarten, my dad was uh, uh, in the army uh, for 23 years and retired and and uh, so I grew up uh, a large part of my childhood uh, in a military family, going from base to base every three years or so and, and uh, traveling around a bit. And right before I started kindergarten, we moved to Germany. My dad was stationed there in Germany for a time. And when we first got there, uh, uh, they were welcoming uh, my dad onto the base. And so at the officers club, they had a big barbecue to welcome our family onto, onto the base. And all the other uh, uh, soldiers that my dad worked with, the other officers that were in his command, uh, they were all there. Their families were there. And, uh, and so there was this big patio area. They had a big barbecue, a big, huge grill. They were cooking hot dogs and hamburgers. And they had these big barrels full of ice with sodas in them and stuff. And, and I remember there was a hill that went down right beyond this big patio veranda area. And uh, it was trees and green and down at the bottom, there was a swing set. There was some play, playground equipment. And, and so all the kids went down there, and we were playing around. Well, I remember uh, I had uh, uh, made uh, a name for myself, if you will, um, all, uh, very quickly into that because uh, my sister was swinging on the swings. And I remember this kid. He was much older than I was, older than my sister. He was kind of Messing with my sister, pushing her, kind of uh, making her swing go crooked. And she was like, stop, stop, stop. And, and I don't remember. I remember some of it, Dr. R. I don't remember all the fine details, but my parents sure do. And apparently later, a few minutes later, after everybody, all the kids went away from the swing set, he was laying on the grass. I picked up, how many know what a bocce ball is? Have you ever played bocce ball? I picked up a bocce ball. I walked over and I dropped it on his face. <laughs> True story. I broke his nose. He had to go off to the hospital. His nose was bleeding. He was screaming. Uh, a few years later, we were stationed at another base. And um, a few months after we got there, a new family moved in just uh, on the next street over. I was riding my bike through the neighborhood. And I came past this one house. And that kid was there in the driveway. He was the new family. And as soon as he saw me, he said, I know you. And he started chasing me down the street. He wanted to beat me up. He's like, you broke my nose. So, uh, so that didn't go so well. Well, then it got worse. We made our way up to the uh, barbecue area, and, and I remember this vividly. I was, the barbecue was about this high. My head was about, I don't know, that high. And I remember walking up, and I remember seeing coming off the barbecue grill, I remember seeing like little waves. I didn't know they were heat waves. I didn't know that the heat could cause the, the air to kind of make these distorted patterns and whatnot. I was just fascinated by that. And somehow, my little pre-kindergarten brain, I decided I was going to reach out and touch those waves. So I did that. But when I did that, my hand went right on that grill and just, and I totally, I just sizzled. I just burned my hand. The guy grabbed it and boom. So that was the end of the barbecue for us. So, and I remember uh, they, you know, then when I started kindergarten, just a short time after that, I had my hand wrapped up. I looked like a big, big Q-tip and uh, we had to go on our little field trips and they were like, hold the yellow rope. And I was like, eh, I can't, you know, and it was horrible. So what's the point of that story? Here's the point. I didn't really make my dad look very good at that time. I don't think that was the first impression my dad wanted to make with all the other families and all the other officers in his command. I don't 
think that that was really how they envisioned it would go. I, I, I really kind of ruined the whole event, and, and, and I didn't make my dad look good. And when you consider the fact that we are called, we are commanded to glorify God, you could think of it in these terms. We ought to do our very best to make our God look good. When people are around you, especially unsaved people, how does God look to them based on how you talk and how you live and how you carry yourself? Do you make God look good? In Ephesians 1.12, the Bible says that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. In 2 Thessalonians 1.12, it says that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let it be as the oracles of God. In other words, speech that would be full of His truth, full of His grace, full of His compassion, full of His holiness, full of righteousness and good things that what we say and how we act and what we do and what we involve ourselves in would all sort of tie itself back into who we belong to because we're saved by his grace but we're saved to glorify him it says if any man minister let him do it as of the ability which god giveth that god in all things may be glorified through jesus christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever amen not only are we to glorify Him, but we are to be glorified with Him. One day we will be glorified with Him. We'll receive a glorified body and we'll no longer have this flesh. We'll no longer have this, what the Bible refers to as this earthly tabernacle. And I think of the old farmer, maybe you've heard this, the old farmer who went with his family into the city for the very first time. He went into a big skyscraper. He had never seen such structures ever before. And when he went into the lobby, there was a bank of elevators and he was watching these uh, big, pristine, shiny doors open and people would come out and then uh, people would go in. He was watching that and then all of a sudden while he was standing there with his family he saw an older lady with white hair and she was kind of shuffling along there uh, the doors opened up and boom she went into that uh, elevator and then the doors closed and then after just about a moment all of a sudden there was a ding and the door opened up again and out walked this attractive young lady and he kind of nudged his little grandson there and he said go get your grandma Go get your grandma. Oh, you guys didn't laugh at that. Okay, don't tell that joke. That was bad. He didn't get it quite right. He didn't understand what the elevator did, but he noticed a change, right? And uh, it doesn't happen that way. We know that. But listen, there is something the Bible shows to us and teaches us about the fact that one day when, we, uh, uh, when, we, when our earthly body dies, the day of redemption, it's called in the Word of God, we will receive a glorified body and we will be glorified with Him. We are joint heirs with Christ and we will be in a place where there is no sickness and no uh, sin and no more battle with the flesh. It's a wonderful thing to be glorified with Him. But God wants us to live for Him right now. Because we have the hope of being glorified, it should affect the way we live. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, it reminds us, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father. Do you see the glory there? 
Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. In 1 John, in chapter 3, in verse number 2, John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51, Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, my, my fourth child is on the way. And I've told my kids many a time, I kind of take this verse and I change it around, Dr. R. And I said, uh, kids, listen, we shall not all sleep, but all of you are going to change the baby. All of you, you know, it's, a, it's different this time around for us because now we have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and uh, a 9-year-old, soon to be 10-year-old. And uh, I told her, I said, you guys are going to help us uh, change and do some of that, you know. And uh, so that's really cool. And uh, we didn't have that before when they were uh, little. But uh, we see that uh, he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkle of the eye. The last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption. And this mortal shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. We're saved to glory. We're bound if you're saved. For the glory of heaven. For a glorified body. To be glorified with Christ, but yet God wants us to glorify Him now, because certainly we'll be doing that forever and ever and ever in eternity. Amen? So we're saved by grace. Are you living by His grace? We are saved to glory. Are you glorifying Him? But the third one, and I'll close with this, we got to be done. We're saved for going. We're saved by grace. We're saved to glory, but thirdly, we are saved for going, safe for going. Now, we see in verse 6 through 8 of Philippians chapter number 2, we see the grace, right? We, we see in verse number 9 through 11, we see the glory, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. There's the glorying, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the glorifying. But now, where do we see the going? I want you to go back to verse number five, where we started. Verse number five. Watch this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I believe that's where we see the going. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what mind was that? I mean... Well, how do we see the, the going there? Well, I want you to go back just a couple of verses. And again, we're almost done. Stay with me. We're going to be done in just one, two minutes. It says, verse number three, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you. If we're saved for going... What is it exactly that we are to go and to do? couple thoughts real quick as we close. Number one, we're to humbly serve. If there's one word that should sort of rise above so many others in this passage, it should be the word humility. 
humility. We see one of the greatest depictions, one of the greatest pictures, one of the greatest examples of Christ-like humility right here in the scriptures in Philippians 2. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. God wants us to be humble, but he wants us to be humbly serving. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. In 1 John 2, 6, here's what John said. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he, Jesus Christ, walked. You see, one of the greatest tasks, but yet one of the most awesome keys that unlocks the Christian life is humility and to serve like Jesus served. And time and time and time again, God says, I want you to serve. I want you to love. I want you to walk like I have served you and loved you and walked with you. When Jesus took a towel and girded himself, and a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Remember Peter? He said, Lord, no, no, no. I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And he says, if you don't let me do this, right? He says, if you don't let me do this, that's a big deal. And the whole point of that whole scenario right there was he says, as I have done to you, I want you to go and I want you to love one another, serve one another, walk in humility. We see that. But then also this, not only humbly serving. By the way, do you do that? Are you humble? Are you humbling yourself? Is everything all about you? Or is everything all about Jesus? Is everything all about making a name for yourself? Or is everything about magnifying the name of Jesus in your life? Humbly serving, but then lastly, humbly sharing. Humbly sharing. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Here in His love. Catch this, folks. Here in His love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. How many of you are seeing the humbly serving there as well? Just what we talked about, building upon the last point. But we're moving towards the humbly sharing. Watch this. God, uh, and he says, uh, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Now, tune in right here, verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 14, that's the sharing. We have seen and do testify. When you get a closer view, a clearer view of Jesus... His grace, His glory, and then His purpose for you and I and every believer to go, guess what? We can't help 
but go and testify of what we've experienced of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's just sort of like the natural product. If we're really growing closer to the Lord, it's not something that we can just sort of contain for very long. It's not something that we can just kind of keep hidden under the surface and just kind of stay incognito. If somebody's really experiencing the overwhelming grace of God and if we're seeking with all of our heart, God, help me to glorify you, whether I eat or whether I drink or whatsoever I do. Help me to do all things to the glory of God. If that's our heart, then the going will take care of itself. We'll be humbly serving one another. We'll be humbly loving other people, including those without Christ. We will love them enough to take them the gospel and say, Jesus has changed my life. We got to be done. Here it is. If you're saved and you bear the name of Jesus Christ, by the way, you do. What does the name, what does the word Christian mean? Little Christ, Christ-like one. If you're a Christian, you bear his name. You bear his name. What's in a name? Do people see Christ in you? What's in a name? For God, it's everything. But for the Christian who knows God, it's also everything. It's everything. May we walk in his grace. May we strive and seek by his grace to glorify him. And then be empowered to go and to serve and to love and to share Jesus with the world.